Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible passages presented across our Sunday services. This season, we'll be thinking through more from our latest series, Love Made Known, as together we study the book of 1 John. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new season of Deeper. Thanks so much for joining us once again. We are super glad to have you here as we enter into our brand new season um, in the book of 1 John, Love Made Known. Uh, If you've been around um, with us for a while now, then you know that usually on this podcast, um, the content really comes from questions based on the sermons that are preached on a Sunday. Uh, However, we're going to be doing something a little bit different for this particular series. Um, We will be still looking at the book of 1 John, but given that we're studying it on a Sunday and then again afterwards in our home groups, uh, we thought that it might be useful to take a slightly different angle and start um, examining some of the key themes of the book. And so each episode is actually going to be focusing in on one of those themes. We'll discuss things like love, uh, light, the fellowship of the saints, um, assurance and a whole range of other topics as well. And so I'm really excited to try this new approach as we kind of zoom in a little bit more closely on concepts that we see arise time and time again throughout our study of 1 John. And so to kick me off, kick us off today, uh, Ken Davies is here with me. Hi, Ken. G'day. Thank you so much for um, joining us and for being willing to, um, I guess, take a new kind of turn with how we're going to be uh, learning from the Bible in this podcast series. Very happy to be the guinea pig. (laughs) You guys as the listeners are the real guinea pigs. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how this goes. Um, I guess though, perhaps in the minds of our listeners right now, they might be thinking, well, um, how do we study a particular theme in the Bible and why is that something that's worthwhile doing? Um, So maybe just to kick us off, could you help us navigate that of... Uh, Firstly, how do we um, thematically examine something in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, It's a a different way of studying the Bible. And obviously our sermons and our Bible studies traditionally just run through a passage and there's a segment of text that we look at, study it in detail, think about what the application of it is. In one sense, what we're doing is putting what, what, Uh, when a passage comes up with a particular theme, looking at where that theme also occurs in the rest of the book, but then looking at where else does it occur in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what we're doing is some kind of a mixture between biblical theology, which is looking how themes develop uh, chronologically through the Bible, or systematic theology, which is really taking their theme, trying to define it and understand what does the whole Bible have to say about this particular issue. Mm. Um, And so that's really what we're trying to do. Also thinking through not just biblically, but also what are some historical ways this has been understood? Uh, What are some examples from our own experience where this may have direct application or people have taken it in particular directions? How does that help us to understand these particular passages? some people love systematic theology. Some people hate it. Um, I, I taught it when we were in when we oh, lived really? in Thailand. Oh, it was cool. one of the subjects I taught, both in Thai and in English. Wow. Um, 
and and I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it. I think systematic <laughs> theology is really helpful because we are people in our Western society who like to categorize stuff and mm-hmm. think about stuff in that kind of way. Um, and it's really helpful for, for bringing stuff from all over the Bible to, to, to help us to understand what's being said. Mm. Um, the, so the strength of it is, is that we can actually learn things from other passages that give us background uh, or give us insight into where that theme's heading mm. uh, and so can actually really uh, take us deeper into the meaning of, mm. of a theme or a word that a particular biblical author is using. Um, and so I love it from that perspective. Yes. It can be dangerous from the perspective of... Uh, the same word or same theme can be used in different ways by different authors. And so if we come up with a definition that this is what the topic means, we can sometimes force a reading from our systematic theology onto a particular book, and then that changes our interpretation of the book. Mm. So I guess my idea on this is that uh, we have a, we all have a systematic theology. We all have a way of how we've integrated different teachings from different parts of the Bible and how that helps us to understand that topic. Um, and we want to hold that as a framework, but we want to hold it fairly loosely so that we can continue to allow God's word in its uh, as we focus in on it to still control and modify, edit um, the conclusions that we've come up to so that our conclusions are not the thing that's driving it, but the as we keep submitting ourselves to God's word, that that's what's actually driving us. So that's mm. that's what we're hoping to try and do through this. Mm. No, that's really helpful. Um, well, I'm excited to take this new approach. Um, and so for today, we are going to be having a look at the topic of light. Mm. Um, we saw that crop up its head in our first um, sermon on Sunday, which Rod preached on. Um, we see in chapter 1 verse 5 God is light in him there is no darkness at all and then it goes on to talk about the kind of contrast of light and darkness Mm -hmm. Um, we're focusing in particular on light where else do we uh, perhaps see that term being used in the Bible Um, what do we learn from its different uses yeah, uh, it's absolutely incredible like I, I don't think I'd sat down and actually had a look at this until thinking through this question um it's it's everywhere. Um, Genesis one verse three, uh, right <laughs> at the crops very up that beginning. Early, hey? And God said, "Let there be light," and there mm. was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. And so, the first bookend of the Bible mm. um, starts off with that. And then, if we jump over to the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter twenty-two, verse five, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, and so it's not a, it's not something that may automatically come to mind as, hey, this is a really important concept, but it's there right at the very beginning and it's there right at the very end, which yeah. is giving us hints. This is something super, super significant. Mm. Um, it comes up in a number of other places. Um Obviously, the Exodus, um, Nehemiah 9 verse 12 talks about it, um, that God had given them a a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to give them light to walk by. Mm. And obviously, that's like light that you can actually see, but it's something already pushing us towards how else this term light can be used that it's actually directional it's giving us guidance Mm. uh, for how we how we live our lives rather than just how we walk right so it's kind of already giving us hints of the literal morphing into the metaphorical yeah yeah Yeah. 
Um, so uh, I, I, English was my least favorite subject at school. Sorry. Oh no, <laughs> I loved English. <laughs> um, and so please, please uh, don't don't uh, hold my understanding of the English English language as the as the be all. Uh, but yeah, just that whole concept of literal versus metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible uses it in both ways, right. uh, and both are super significant. And we've got to be asking that question then as we're reading a statement like one John verse 5 when it says that God is light what does that mean mm. is that purely metaphorical is it something more than that uh, what, what do we do with that mm. so yeah um, so, so that the passages in the Bible passages that speak of light show us that the Bible authors are quite comfortable shifting between these two concepts right. um, and so we have to be fairly ready to be able to do that as well I guess um, it does mean too that we need to be as we're sort of trying to approach um, themes, actually reading around where the usage is happening to your context plays a big part in our understanding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, because, and, and even within 1 John, uh, not to steal the thunder from, from another topic, but, <laughs> but it'll, it'll make exactly the same, same statement about God is love. Mm. Um, is God love the same way that he is light? Mm. Um, is, is, is God always light? Where we'd say that God is always love. Um, it's it, it's written exactly the same way, and mm-hmm. so from a perhaps from a, a technical perspective, we might think, okay, well, it's used that way by the same author in the same couple of chapters, and so he must mean the same thing. I, I would actually argue quite clearly that he's not. He's actually meaning something quite different, yeah, right. and he's quite comfortable doing that. So maybe he would have liked English literature. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I might have to remember to circle back to that and ask whatever our guest is when we look at love, what they what they think. Um, but you were mentioning off air before we started recording that, yeah, the idea of light is used all throughout the Bible. And um, you were saying like you've, in front of us, we have a list of verses and uh, that by no means is um, an exhaustive list. Yeah. So it's not just there at the beginning and there at the end. It is there throughout the whole of the old testament and the new yeah yeah it's it's like we've got a list of about 30 different verses through old and new testament um it's sprinkled everywhere and through the different type the different genres Mm. uh of old testament literature it's in the it's in the historical stuff it's in the prophetic so we've looked at isaiah recently uh and the whole idea of uh jesus being the light of the world Mm. um that he's going to be light to the Gentiles. Uh, it's it's used there, and we kind of we can read over it very quickly without necessarily making the connections uh, back to other parts of the Old Testament. Uh, it's there throughout the New Testament in the Gospels. Uh, it's in the letters. It's in Revelation. Uh, so every type of literature throughout the whole of the Bible, uh, it's there. It's in Ecclesiastes, uh, in the wisdom literature, yeah, right. that light is better than darkness. Mm. Um, and so there's all sorts of ways that it's being spoken of, um, and and so that comes back to a statement that you made earlier. We've got, we've very we've got to be very careful of of reading the specific literature we're in, mm. asking the questions from its immediate context. How is it now being used in this particular place? Is it just literal? Uh, so, for example, in the book of Exodus, where it says that there's light amongst the Jews, there was darkness amongst the Egyptians. It's 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 the physical, um, but when it then goes on to a place in the New Testament, um, so for example, Ephesians 5, where it's talking about children of the light, 
it's not saying that uh, we only go out in the daytime and we don't go out <laughs> after dark. It's clearly, <laughs> it's clearly it's clearly not what it's speaking about yep. from the context. Right. Uh, and so, but the Bible's quite happy to just say it without necessarily giving us a whole bunch of statements to qualify what am I what is being written at this particular mm. point you've got to get it from the from the context yeah right so there, there is some work to be done in order to do this properly um I mean you already alluded to this but uh if there are these kind of different references to light um in different genres throughout the bible and um the word is being used differently to mean different things mm-hmm. uh, what what do we learn from its uses yeah um I think that and, and this is why I said um, in both Genesis and Revelation as both your, your starting and your finishing bookend, um, it's a really fascinating use of the concept of light, that light exists before there's something that we would normally consider to be the source of light. So uh, a definition of light is electromagnetic radiation within the visible wavelength. And so there's this, this energy that's taking a particular form that we as humans and and animals can see and that's what defines it as light as opposed to sublight or ultraviolet light and all these other things um and so from a scientific like if we were thinking science textbook definition Mm. there's that kind of statements being made about light but light comes from the sun it can come from a lamp it can come from the flicking on a switch so that the the, the light bulb above your head has electricity traveling to it and that electricity gets transformed into light energy in a different format. Um, but clearly that's not the only way that light's being spoken of. Mm. Um, and so I, I think the fascinating thing is both the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible is that there's light without a source apart from God. And mm. so light is created before the sun and the moon are created and mm. the stars are created and there is light and God's able to say, and it was very good. Mm. And then at the end of the Bible, it says that there's light, but there's no need for the sun or the moon anymore because God is their light. Mm. Now, does that mean that uh, God is this amazing, overwhelming brightness? And there's some hints that that, that, that Moses, as he goes up yeah, on the mountain, he comes down glowing. Yeah. Uh, Paul on the on the road to Emmaus, he gets blinded, blinded. by a light, fo- falls down, and uh-huh. is blinded. Um, and and so there's something about God. There's there's Isaiah chapter five. He comes into his presence of holiness, mm. and there's this almost blinding. I'm I'm done for now because of this. And so there's this already overwhelming power of light that that gets rid of everything that's dark. But that immediately goes over into the moral dimensions of it there's something symbolic of this that which which i think will come into this in terms of how john's using it but the bible's quite comfortable using light and darkness as symbols of good and bad as well Mm. and so the darkness is the dwelling place of evil deeds proverbs will talk about that that these people are, are hiding in the darkness to sneak up on people and and steal their money and their lives away from them they're doing uh, wicked immoral behaviors in the darkness so that mm. people can't see them and that theme is is carried over into mm. the new testament uh, even nicodemus coming to jesus in the dark uh, mm. it was night uh, when 
when uh, Judas goes out to betray Jesus, it's made very clear, and it was night. Mm. Uh, that's when the that's when you uh, and, and Jesus will will uh, condemn the Pharisees, your, your people of the dark. Mm. Uh, and so these these moral categories of how light and darkness is used uh, are, clear, are clear. We're clearly able to shift from their physical nature into their moral implications. And so as we zoom in then to 1 John in particular, mm. uh, is that what's happening in that book? How is it being used there? Yeah, I, I, I don't think from my reading of 1 John that it's ever used just as a I'm turning on the light switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, the, it's the metaphorical use of the term. Yeah. Um, it gets used a heap um, and it's just in chapter 1 and 2. So 1, 5, 6, 7, chapter 2, verses 8, 9, 10 and 11. Um, and I think it's really referring to morality, uh, to holiness, to behavior, to thoughts, to motives. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a fascinating use of the term that he, he uses a number of different, and, and this is what we'll discover as we, as we delve further into the book of 1 John. Uh, he comes back to a number of themes multiple times. Yes but he keeps coming at, at them from slightly different angles. And in some sense, uh, he can use the term light and you could have a parallel term like goodness or holiness or morality. Mm. And there's, there's significant overlap in what he's talking about, but he wants to emphasize something specific by using this term light um, that some of those other ones may not carry. Um, so... Yeah, he's, but he's bringing in a whole lot of those things uh, as he uses the term, I think, metaphorically to talk about goodness and avoidance of evil, uh, doing what's right. Mm. Well, I guess since we're talking about metaphors then, uh, can you explain for us like, why is that um, a useful metaphor? Yeah, um, I, think, I think because it carries so much weight. Um, I think like when we're... When you're doing listening to a sermon or listening to someone give a talk, as they're trying to define something or explain it, you can kind of go with them. But when someone illustrates something, it's often much easier to grab. Mm. And I think the concept of light and darkness is it was obviously easier for his initial readers to comprehend and grasp and there was some momentum to the whole concept um and i think it it applies to us as well like we we automatically um can very easily associate with concepts of light and darkness Mm. Uh, it's used in culture in all sorts of different ways um star wars the dark side (laughs) um the dark arts dark magic um but historically, the Dark Ages, mm. uh, it's used philosophically. Um, the whole Asian philosophy of yin-yang, there's this symbol of black and white and, and darkness. And they're actually symbols of darkness and light. Within light, there's darkness. Within darkness, there's light. Um, so it's used in so many different categories of our thinking about the world um, that we can just automatically associate with them. Um, but it also pushes us to be, this is not just a category of thinking about something. This is supposed to do something to me emotionally. This is supposed to do something to me um, in terms of my behavior. Uh, this is not just what I do. It's also my motivation for what I do. Mm. Um, so I think it carries, I think it can It can take us places that perhaps just a, a theoretical statement may not be able to take us. There's right. an emotional weight to it. Yeah. And there's something memorable about that too then, isn't yeah. there, when we have 
um, a, a kind of a picture image in our head or um, something that we can relate to experientially, which we obviously can with um, light and darkness. Um, now, we will get to in a moment what this actually you know, <laughs> means for us and looks sure. looks like for us. But I just want to just circle back just before we head there and mm. um, just think through like how does John's use of the term light, how does that build on or mm. extend or, or differ perhaps to how it's used elsewhere in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think it's a really important question to ask. So this is why I've stated that I think he's using the term metaphorically. Why is that? Why is that important to make that statement? Um, from the, the like systematic theology perspective, if a statement that says God is light is an ontological statement, a statement about what God is, what is component made, what, what's God made from, what is the stuff that is God? Mm. You can say God is spirit, and that's a true statement about God. But when you say God is light, does that mean he's made up of light? I don't think that's where the Bible's leading us. Um, and so this is not a statement about what he's made up of but it's a statement about who he is and how we interact with him um and so where that helps us then is that is is recognizing that in one john again it starts off with themes of creation Mm. uh, in the beginning Uh, and then he's talking about the beginning again he talks about as he does in the gospel uh, the word became flesh and now it's the word of life Um, all of these themes about creation are linked to the creation of light, things being good, um, you having what you'd been given, which is the right way of understanding. Um, he then goes on to talk about um, light as the way that we should understand how we're living. And so he talks about walking in the light. Um, and it, and it, clearly, it clearly is saying you've, been, you've had something revealed to you and because you know what is the right thing to do, therefore don't just know it, actually get out there and do it. Mm. Um, and it's a little, I think it's a little bit like the Old Testament stories um, that Israel's coming up out of Egypt and they're being guided by God in the physical form of a cloud and a pillar of fire. And there's light which is protecting them. There's light which is guiding them. And some of these concepts can come over to our understanding. God is light. Okay, he's going to protect you. He's a safe place. He's going to guide you. Mm. Uh, walk in the things that he's shown you that are right to do. Mm. Don't don't stray from them because if you stray off the path, you're heading into darkness and, and you'll go off track by doing that. Um, so Psalm 119 verses, uh, verse 105 talks about God's word being light. Uh, to show us the way to live. Uh, and so God's the light that shows us the way to live. Um, and um, therefore living as God has desired us or created us to live is this is how, when when God evaluates and says the light is good, when we do things the way we're supposed to, then that means that we're doing what is good not just because it's a good thing to do, but God's understanding of it, his evaluation of our behavior, of our thoughts, of our attitudes, is that this is what you were designed to do. Uh, And so as we live the way that John's describing for us, um, we're actually getting closer back to that whole concept of we're, we're living the way that God designed humanity to be back in the garden before everything was broken and damaged. Yeah, right. Well, building on that then, I guess, um, let's try to get a little bit more 
practical of, mm. as to what does it actually look like to live in the light or to, or to be a light to the world yeah are those two things the same or different or? yeah yeah uh, that's the that's the other major use of it in the certainly in the gospels is that we as christians are light yeah. and so we're to be a light to a dark world yeah there's uh, that language shine like stars yeah, <laughs> yeah this little light, light of mine i'm gonna make it shine yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the, the sunday school song um i i think that um that where John takes us with this, um, and this is why I say systematics is helpful, but it can also be dangerous if we allow it to control our thinking. Um, I think we have to be comfortable in one John living with the tension that this whole imagery creates as well. Because one of the things that this is going to drive us to is that God is uh, untainted light. There's no mm. darkness. There's no shadow. There's no, it's all brightness. Mm. Um and the reality is, is as we come into the light, that exposes the fact that that's not who we are. There is mm. things in us that are not appropriate, that don't fit with God. Uh, there's sin in our lives. There's things where we do make choices to not live God's way. We make our own decision about how we're going to live. Um, and so the concept of light is that light expels darkness that that light and darkness can't coexist mm -hmm. you're either moving towards light or you're moving away from the light into the darkness further and further so there's this shadow land but that's clearly not the right place to be you've either got to be in one or the other uh, and so if we've still got sin in our lives well can we be with god mm -hmm. and so if we take that concept and say well this is actually now about holiness purity evil can't dwell with god does that mean if i've got sin in my life that i can't be in the presence of god because he's going to destroy me that's very much the image of isaiah 5 um isaiah 6 um and so there's a real tension in one john that there's a push to us to say you need to be ridding yourselves of the things of darkness if you've got thoughts attitudes behaviors that are comfortable in darkness you need to be getting rid of them. Um, you are people of light and therefore you need to live out the light. And yet the reality is, is that it's going to be a, an assurance thing telling us you are children of the light. You're mm. the children of God. This is who you are. Um, and so it's telling us is this is, this is our, uh, our reality. But then we've got to work with that experience, the tension of the experience that, yes, we know that's what we are uh, by definition. That's what God has declared us to be. We are light. We are righteous. But in our experience, there's still things that say, oh, I'm not there yet. Uh, and so what's John trying to do to us? Is he telling us that if I've got sin in my life, that I'm not a child of the light? Uh, have I, if I've got shadows in me, does that mean I'm darkness and walking around in darkness? And I don't think that that's what John's actually saying. Um, and so, but how we get there in the end is a little bit like John's journey is it's gonna it's gonna go backwards and forwards and sometimes you'll think oh yeah I'm okay with this and then other times we'll be really confronted and say no there's something that's really dark in me that needs to be gotten rid of mm. um, what do, what do I do with that mm. what does that reveal about who I am am I a child of the light or a child of the darkness mm -hmm. and so uh, just quickly for the benefit of those who haven't been in home group this week um, mm. where we are wrestling with this yeah, that very yeah. idea um, what what would be the answer to the question you just posed then of like what do i do with that 
how do I reconcile these things or can I? Yeah, I, I think John wants to put us into the tension because it's a, it's a, the reality of our experience while we're still this side of glory um, is the reality as Christians. There's something about uh, what, what God has declared about us because of what Jesus has done for us. And a number of times in the book of 1 John, it'll refer to Jesus as the substitute for us. He's the sacrifice who's made it possible for us to be righteous. Uh, and so this is what's declared about you. It's true. It, it cannot be broken. Um, and yet immediately on the back of saying that, there's a push for us um, that something has to be expressed in the in the nitty-gritty of our life that proves that that reality is the case. Um, and it may not come naturally. It may be something that you have to keep working at. Uh, it may be something that you need to confess that you're not doing. And that's actually part of the process of that actually becoming more of the reality of a life. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a really complicated thing. I'd, I don't, I'm not sure that John resolves it for us, mm. um, which is something that we as Westerners find really frustrating because we like a logical argument that takes us through the tension and comes to a final conclusion where all the things are nicely tied, tied off and neatened up and, and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how, the, that's how the tension fits together. And I'm not sure that John actually is willing to do that for us. Mm. Um, and so I guess my answer is uh, be comfortable with the confrontation um, but be uh, assured of the comfort that John wants to give us in this. Um, John, John is not expecting of us in this life perfection. And anyone who goes down that track of declaring, I don't sin, John makes it very clear that if you've gone, if you've gone that far in your thinking, you've gone way too far. And if you're thinking that, you're actually making God out to be a liar. Mm. Uh, so don't go there. Mm. Um, sit in the sit in the uncomfortableness of recognizing that there is still sin in your life and yet your goal in life is to be sinless mm. and it's been done on your behalf and yet there's something that you still have to do mm. and we just have to <laughs> live in that tension yeah yeah uh, well we've covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time as we've sort of done a very quick um sweep through the bible and its general ideas about uh what light is um i'm just wondering if you would be able to help us by i guess maybe summarizing if that's possible mm. um what we've been talking about um you know being conscious of not trying to like flatten yeah. the yeah. definition of light and yeah. um you know tr- trying to make a definition that the bible just doesn't allow us to but sure. is there a way to maybe sum up um what we've been talking about yeah i, th- I think there is um I think for me, my understanding of this is is tied in with Paul and Paul not using the, the imagery this time as he describes it, but certainly as he reflects on his life of before he knew Jesus and after he knew Jesus, um, he had a definition very clear in his mind of what righteousness was. Uh, and so he... He, he was faultless He's, as, as to legalistic righteousness, faultless in, in the words of Philippians 3. Um, and so... And yet he, he realizes that even though his, some of his behaviors were correct and they were right according to the letter of the law, there was something completely wrong with it mm. because of its motivation, because of its direction, because of its consequences. Mm. And I think that light and darkness uh, very nicely describe what's going on. You can have a whole lot of things that you think are okay, but when they're exposed for what they really are, 
Paul, Paul realizes if he looks back on his life, it was darkness. It wasn't mm. any benefit to mm. myself towards God or to anybody else. Mm. It, it was just terrible stuff. Mm. When it was when it was revealed by the light, now all of a sudden there's all these other things that I'm doing, which there's continuation with some of those things. Paul didn't just say everything I've done in the past, now I reject and now I'm going to do different things. But when it was reevaluated and and brought under the control of Jesus, all of a sudden his thinking, his attitudes, his behaviors, how he treated other people completely uh, were transformed. Mm. And I think that that's the idea of light, that light brings revelation, that this is God, as God says, I've let there be light. Um, there's also... Part of that is uh, someone wrote about the fact that um, we don't, God didn't need light in order to see what he was doing. Mm. Uh, but as he created light, he revealed it to us so we could see what he had done. Oh, that's, um, that's and it's tied into, of, yeah, and yeah. it's tied into thinking of, of C.S. Lewis as well with his idea that we don't know that the sun's there by seeing it. We see everything by the light of the sun. Mm. Um, and so that they're, they're very similar concepts. But this whole concept of light is that it's something that reveals, it's something that changes our understanding of everything. Um, and, and, it, and it delves so much deeper than just a theoretical concept to actually evaluating a whole bunch of things that could be good or bad depending, but then light shows them for what they really are. Mm. Cool. Well, thanks for your time today, Ken, and um, yeah, for the work that you've put in in helping us to have a bit of an idea of how light is used both in 1 John and throughout the whole Bible. No worries. Hopefully it's been helpful. You have been listening to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at our services on site or online. For details or to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.